0: We're so grateful to be able to be here and grateful for this opportunity to share together and to see each and every one of you all. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse number 9. Colossians 1 9, and the Word of God reads like this And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's bow and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for another day. Thank you for another opportunity. Thank you for the grace that is upon us. Thank you for the opportunity for worship that we've just experienced. to be able to pour our hearts out to you. You have been an amazing God, and we certainly worship you, and we return to you our thanks and praise. And now, Father, we pray that you would open up your word for our hearing we pray that you might speak to us at the point of our greatest need. Make us better for having come here today. and Allow these moments to give your name, which is worthy, glory, honor, and praise. And we thank you for the privilege. And all who know him said hallelujah and amen. Amen. You may be seated. What a great time. What a great, great time this is. And uh, in the life of the church Uh, And these vision events are absolutely awesome and important for our church. So if you haven't had the opportunity to uh, come to one of the vision events, don't forget that there's going to be one at Palmetto Bay this coming Wednesday and then uh, a week week later at the Doral campus. uh, And uh, so that's going to be just absolutely exciting and helpful. Just keep this in mind. The only way to reach the vision and fulfill the mission is to walk in alignment with the will of God. The only way to reach the vision and fulfill the mission is to walk in alignment with the will of God. Well, speaking of alignment, I can remember when I was um, in that summer between 11th and 12th grade, I went to work as a summer camp counselor at a camp up in the mountains, in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And uh, we had to work all summer long. We'd work two weeks, and then they'd give us like a night off, and so the nights off were just precious times. And most of us didn't have cars, Uh, and so we we asked this guy, Jim, who was with us, uh, if we could borrow his car, because we wanted to ride in town, get a couple slices of pizza and a Coca-Cola. And so uh, Jim lent us his car, and so, Uh, we jumped in the car, and as we pulled off, we found out something. We found out right away, Jim's car was not in alignment. I don't know if you've ever experienced that while you've been driving, but sometimes it's just a little pull, subtle pull to one side. Well, not Jim's car. Jim's car is like zoom. I mean, like, if you didn't hold the handle, the steering wheel tight, You were going to go off to the left, and and God knows where you'd end up. So it was really not a good situation. We really should not have driven the car to town. But since we only get one night off every two weeks, we were going to town. And the truth is, because Jim's car was so far out of alignment, we almost killed ourselves driving down the highway uh, to town on that particular day. Well, that is what a life is like when a life is out of alignment. Pastor Omar, last week, I talked to us, and he mentioned something about going to the moon and walking on the moon. And uh, one of the interesting things about all of that issue with space flight and everything is that in order to accomplish that kind of mission, it takes a precise alignment. Watch this. Wow. Those numbers had to be right on target. If the numbers were too high, then the spaceship would just miss the Earth and fly out lost in space forever. If they were too low, it would burn up as it tried to re-enter Earth's atmosphere. And so if they were imprecise, it could have crashed into land or landed so far away from the rescue ship that the rescue ship couldn't get to the astronauts in time. Alignment means everything. And so your life alignment does as well. And so just keep this in mind. A small shift in your alignment can make a big difference. A small shift can make a big difference. When you're trying to align with the will of God, a small shift makes a big difference. Look at these words. Maybe you're untied in your life right now. A small shift can make you united. If you're silent, a small shift could help you to listen. Maybe you arise late. A small shift could make you the earliest one to the office. If you live your life with fluster, a small shift could make you restful. If you live your life on the sly with a small shift, you can live it honestly. If you live your life as store scum, I hope you don't, but a small shift can make you a, big, a good customer. If you live your life with misfortune, think about this, a small shift could say it's more fun. If you live your life with violence, a small shift could mean nice love for you. If you feel like life is like a funeral, a small shift can make it real fun. If you're more like Satan, a small shift could make you more like Santa. If you live your life in adultery, a small shift can make you a true lady. If you are an evil agent, you're just a small shift away from becoming an evangelist. And if you're trying to make 45 and not sure whether or not you're going to get there, a small shift could allow you to live over 50. A small shift can make a big difference in your life. Now, the problem is shifts in our life are easier to talk about than they are to achieve. We're coming up in this new year. We're talking about hitting the refresh button. Well... It's easier to talk about it than it is to actually accomplish it. And so I want to talk about three keys from this particular verse that will help us in aligning our lives with the will of Almighty God. Well, the first is this. You have got to believe in prayer. Believe in prayer. It says in the beginning of verse number nine, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, when you're trying to make these shifts, a lot of times we feel like we're isolated and we're alone, but I just want to give you comfort today. You are not alone. You are not alone. that that we're all in this boat together. We're all struggling with stuff in our lives that needs to be adjusted and aligned so that we can live in alignment with the will of God for our lives. And so uh, here in this passage, it is likely that the Apostle Paul had never even been to Colossae. And and yet, uh, because the church was likely planted by Epaphras, who served as its pastor, but but even though Paul had never been there. Paul is concerned about the church and he writes this letter to encourage the church and correct some things that were going on in the life of the church because he was concerned. He wanted them to know you are not alone in the struggle. In fact, all of us got our own little things and everybody's stuff might not manifest in their lives like yours manifests in yours, but we're all struggling with something in our lives that is where we need to move and struggle to bring it in full alignment with the will of the Almighty. Touch your neighbor and just tell them uh, we're all in this together. So think about this. People you know and people you don't know are praying for you. People you know and people you don't know are praying for you. Well, we're pretty sure Epaphras, who was the pastor of the church, was praying for the church. All of us would expect our pastors to be praying for us and remember us in prayer from time to time. But, but this text says that the apostle Paul was also praying for the people in the church. He had not been to Colossae, but listen to verse number 9 again. It says, and so from the day we heard, not the day we saw you, not the day we met you, but from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so the apostle Paul was praying for them. And so all of us have people, some of the people we know and some of the people we don't know who are praying for us. Um, If you're a parent, you're probably praying for your kids. If you're kids, you're probably praying for your parent. If you're married, you're probably praying for your spouse. These are people that you know, I hope. So people we know and people we don't know. Uh, It could be that your neighbor is praying for you. That your neighbor sees you. Maybe you know your neighbor. Maybe you don't know your neighbor. But your neighbor might be watching you, and your neighbor could be holding you up in prayer. It could be that your co-worker, you don't know that they're praying for you, but it could be your coworker, the one who you keep getting on their last nerve, and so they're praying for you right now, and it could be that your co-worker is praying for you. And the truth is that there are people all over this country and all over this world that are praying for you that don't even know you. Say, so how in the world can people pray for me that don't even know me? Well, just like you're concerned about Miami, there are other people who are like kingdom-minded, who also want to see Miami come to Jesus. And so all over this world, people are praying for Miami, and that means that you're included in their prayers. They're praying for you. And so people you know and people you don't know are praying for you. And prayer is going on all the time, all the time. When I was growing up in church, and uh, sometimes the prayers were a little longer than they are these days, and, 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 and people had a tendency after they prayed for everything they could think of to get to the end, and they would add a phrase like this. And they say, Lord, bless all those I'm duty-bound to pray for. So that, like, duty-bound category is like, this is the catch-all category for all the stuff I missed uh, talking about in my prayer. Prayer, bless all those I'm duty-bound to pray for. Well, the truth is that all of us were in somebody's duty-bound category. Somebody had included us in that category in order to remember us in their prayers. We say, well, how in the world do I know that I fell in the duty-bound category? Well, think about Romans chapter 8 and verse number 26. Romans 8, 26 says that even for the best of us, it says, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And it, so it says that when we're praying, it says we don't even pray the right kind of prayer all the time when we're trying to pray. And so it says the Spirit of God is listening to our prayers and He's taking all the jumbled, messed up stuff that we talk about and He now takes it and conforms it to the will of the Almighty. So there's now a prayer fit to enter the presence of the throne room of Almighty God. And He says that the Holy Spirit, it says he intercedes for us with groanings that too deep for words. And so understand that that means that even when somebody didn't have us on their mind to pray, the Holy Spirit knew we needed the prayers and he turned their prayers in to include each and every one of us. You're being held up in prayer all the time. Why is it that the apostle Paul prayed even though he hadn't met the people? Why is it that people are praying for us? It's because if we're going to accomplish, uh, reach the vision and accomplish the mission, it's going to be as a result of prayer. Why? Because prayer uh, pa- prayer has power. Prayer has power. You've got to believe that. Touch your neighbor and just tell them prayer has Power. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. Moses prayed and the Israelites won the battle. Daniel prayed and the lion was no longer hungry. Elijah prayed and defeated the prophets of Baal. And when we pray, we need to understand God has the power to change the very circumstances of our lives, and that's the whole reason that we pray, that if God couldn't do something, there would be no sense in us praying. And so whatever circumstance you might, might be facing, you understand that when we pray, God has the power to turn that thing around, and that's why the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. That's why the Bible reminds us that we can call upon him and he will answer us and show us great and mighty things the type of which we have not dreamed. The Bible says ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, not and the door shall be open. And it says no matter what your trouble is, no matter what problem you're going through, no matter what adversity you're facing, no matter what sickness is before you, no matter what trouble is in your way, it says we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. Prayer has power. So you got to believe in prayer. And second, you've got to receive the knowledge of his will. Look at the end of verse, second part of verse number nine. It says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. His will is in the knowledge of his word. His will is in the knowledge of. Of his word. A woman came to me once in church. She told me, she said, God told me to do this thing. And I told her, God didn't tell you to do that. She said to me, you can't tell me what God told me to do. I wanted to wag my finger back at her, but I, I, I didn't. But in my mind, I was wagging it all over the place. And I said, yes, I can. She said, you weren't there. How in the world can you tell me what God told me or whether God didn't tell me. And I said, because the will of God is always in line with the Word of God. Huh? And so if you wanna do something and it is not in alignment with the Word of God, I didn't have to be there. I didn't have to hear the voice. I know that it wasn't God talking to you if it's not in alignment with the word of God. How many times, huh? Have you heard somebody say, God told me, God said this, God told me to do that. And, uh, and so one of the ways we know it wasn't the Lord talking is if what they're talking about is out of line with the word of God. Because God will never tell us to do something that is out of line with what his word already says. Huh? So the next time somebody tells you, you know what to tell them. <laughs> That's why Psalm 19 and 7 says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so uh, if you ever want to know the will of God, there is no substitute for reading, hearing, studying, memorizing, singing, and even praying the word of God. Because the will of God is never going to be out of line with the word of God. So we we need the uh, knowledge of his word. But once we get the knowledge of his word uh, and, and understand some of what his will is, his will has to be embraced. Many of us know His Word, but have not yet embraced His will. And often we know more Word than we're living at any given time. He was a young preacher, started at a church, and on his first Sunday he preached John three sixteen. And on the second Sunday he came back and he preached John three sixteen. Third Sunday, he preached. You know what he preached, John 3:16. Well, by the fourth Sunday, one of the deacons came to him and said, Pastor, we have noticed that you've been preaching the same verse every Sunday. And the young preacher said, well, when you all start living according to that, I'll go on to something else. <laughs> we know more about the word than sometimes we're actualizing. I grew up in the city of Philadelphia, and near our church, a guy used to hang out. His name was Raymond. And Raymond was drunk. I mean, not just tipsy drunk. I mean, drunk, drunk. Almost every day I've ever seen him in my life. And I used to try to talk to Raymond. I say, Raymond, you know the Bible says that the wages of sin, and Raymond would say, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I said, Raymond, you know, the Bible says for all have said, and he would stop me and say, it comes short of the glory of God. <laughs> you know, Raymond, I, there was a scripture I could give Raymond that Raymond didn't already know. And that just reminds me that people know more of the word than they're willing to embrace in their lives. And so it's not just about knowing the word, it's about em, uh, and knowing God's will It's about embracing God's will for our own lives. And once you know that there is something that ought to be done according to God's will, just understand we ought to start doing it right away. It not be put on the to-do list. One day I'm going to get around to doing this part of God's will. No, we ought to start doing it right away because to delay is to disobey. You parents, you understand. You're experts on this. Um, because if, if you have real kids, um, not, like, not like golden children, but if you have real kids, like yours, you got, you know, or you, these over here. So if you got real kids, you know that there was a time when you said to your kids, I want you to do this and so. And the kids kept doing whatever it was they were already doing. And I wasn't there, but I know exactly what happened. <laughs> Something inside of you rose up. And you said, did not I tell you to do thus and so? Why is that? Because you knew that to delay was to disobey. And if that is true for us as earthly parents, how much more true is that for our heavenly parents? So if God is speaking and showing you his will for his life according to his word then to delay is to disobey. See, being filled, that's what the verse asks. He said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And so being filled with the knowledge of his will can change your world. The word knowledge usually is the word gnosis in the greek to know that's used 223 times in the bible but but here it is not the word gnosis it is the word epigenosis used only 20 times in the biblical text and, and in order to get the phrase, so it says knowledge would be no, but it's not just the phrase knowledge. It says to be filled with the knowledge. And so that is the construction. Epigenosis, to fill one with knowledge. And so that, that is, implies uh, that, that we are, uh, uh, are participating with the knowledge. Let me say that in a simpler way. And that's to say it's, it's one thing. To know something intellectually is something else to know it experientially, huh and so I could learn about something intellectually and say that I know all about that in my mind, but the truth is that when I experience it, it might be a little different than i than I, I captured in my mind. you know what i 'm talking about so so to know the word of God intellectually and to know the will of God intellectually is not to fully know it in the epigenosis sense. In the epigenosis sense, I not only have to know the will of God intellectually, I have to also be participating. I have to know it experientially. So I know the will of God, not just because somebody told me and taught me about it, but I know the will of God because I've appropriated it and I tried to be walking in it in my life. And that's what the text says. He says, I want you to be full in that sense. To be full of the Word of God would mean that I would have to know all that there is to know about the Word of God. And the truth is that none of us, even uh, no matter how long we have been around the Christian faith, know everything there is to know about the Word of God. But it says not full of the Word of God, it says full of the knowledge of His will. And so that tells me that I really do already have enough of the knowledge of his will to begin to experience it in my life. I don't have to have all the knowledge of the word of God I can start with the knowledge of his will that I already have. And and as I am fully knowing what I already know about him, I'm fully actualizing the will of God as far as I know it in my life. We already know enough to be instructed by his will, to be convicted uh, by his will, to be convinced of his will, and ultimately to be conformed to his will because the word of god can't come in you and allow and then you begin to actualize the will of god in your life and then remain the same as you were before that's why paul writes in second corinthians 5:17 that if anybody truly gets into christ he becomes a whole new creation the old is gone and behold the new has come So I've got to believe in prayer, I've got to receive the knowledge of his will, and then I've got to use it with skill. The last part of verse number nine, use it with skill says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I got to use it with skill. A little knowledge can be a dangerous thing. Sometimes when we don't know stuff, it, what we do know, we let go to our heads. So here's a point. Don't get a big head. Write that down. Don't get a big head. In, in 2004, Ken Jennings won 74 consecutive Jeopardy! episodes. His total winnings to date are over $4.5 million. In fact, just recently, he won the Jeopardy! Greatest of all time tournament. And so Ken Jennings knows something. But I don't know whether Ken Jennings knows just a lot of trivia or if Ken Jennings is really, really smart. There's a difference between just knowing a lot of stuff and being really smart. So uh, the goal of our study time is not to make you the best Bible scholar and to create a Christ fellowship Bible challenge team that can whip any church in Miami. (laughs) Our goal in Bible study is transformation and not just information. And so sometimes in the Bible study, you shouldn't get to the end of the lesson because sometimes God might be ministering to the people in the group with the first or second point, and you might never get to the end of the lesson. And that's, and that's okay, because our goal is not just information. Our greater goal is transformation. Huh? So, so a lot of times when people get a little bit of information sometimes they get a big head and and, and and don't use it the way that you really want them to use it. So don't just stop at getting information, get spiritual wisdom, that's what, that's what it says. said after he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, he said, don't stop reading there. He said, get an in all spiritual wisdom. And so don't stop at just getting information, get spiritual wisdom. So be careful here, because there are two kinds of wisdom. And and all of us have a tendency to to listen to people and groups and all kinds of things that try to guide our minds and our lives. And, And we have to be careful to make sure of whether or not we are getting spiritual wisdom Or earthly wisdom. You can be devilishly wise, or you can be spiritually wise. And James helps us to make a distinction between the two. In James chapter 3, starting in verse number 14, it says, but if you have, here's James's litmus test for determining whether or not it's wisdom you ought to listen to. It says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But he said, but this kind of wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And so anybody that's just trying to get ahead or do something any old way they can, that is not spiritual wisdom. Instead, verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above, here's what you need to look for, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. We can talk about this full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. That's the kind of wisdom we're looking for. And and Proverbs 4.11 says, I am teaching you the way of wisdom and I'm guiding you on, listen to this, a straight path. That's where I want you to go. Wisdom is like a view of one who has already walked down the road. And I'm trying to tell you where the potholes are and where the dead ends are and where the broken bridges are so you don't get messed up on the road. Or wisdom is like one who has a life of experiences and they're trying to tell us, here's what you need to do in order to avoid some of the mistakes that I made. So you can be successful without all the hurt and mistakes that I've made in my life. Let me give you a little wisdom to guide you along the way. And this text says we need wisdom. You don't just need the word. You also need with the word wisdom in order to know how to apply his will. But don't stop there, he said. He said also get understanding. Or be understanding. Be understanding. Wisdom is knowing what the will of God is for this situation. But understanding is knowing how to apply it. Proverbs 3 and 13 remind us that wisdom and understanding are like close cousins. And, and, and you don't see one without the other. If wisdom shows up, understanding is somewhere close by. And if understanding shows up, wisdom is somewhere in the room. They're always walking around together. And so it says in uh, Proverbs 3.13, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and who acquires what? Understanding. For she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. Haven't you ever been judged, criticized, or misunderstood? If you've ever been judged, criticized, or misunderstood, raise your hand just for a second. Raise your hand. All right. I see most of the hands going up, most of the hands. And maybe the hands that didn't go up are those who have been judging and criticizing the rest of (laughs) us. You know, there's no hurt like church hurt. Sometimes well-meaning church people can be some of the most hurtful people around. And that's why, that's because they got knowledge of his will and maybe even some wisdom about his will, but haven't yet got understanding and how to apply what they already know. And so God wants us to gain understanding. He said with all this stuff, he said, don't leave the Bible study with just the understanding of his will. He said, along with it, get wisdom and get, please, understanding. In Ezekiel chapter 3, God is calling Ezekiel, and God tells Ezekiel, Ezekiel I'm going to send you to a hard-headed, stiff-necked people. Ezekiel said, God, I'm your man. I'm ready to go. He said, where are they? He said, they're your people. (laughs) And Ezekiel didn't like the assignment, but he said he went anyway. He said, but I went in the heat and the bitterness of my own strength because the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he said, when it got there, Ezekiel did something important. He said, rather than going straight in to do it, he said, I sat down by the river for seven days for a period of completion, a complete amount of time. For the amount of time it took God to begin to open my eyes and open my heart and help me to see the people that he wanted me to minister to. And he said, after seven days, he said, I was overwhelmed. He said, I thought about how bad they were when I got there. But but after seven days, he said, I wondered how they were doing as well as they were doing under the circumstances. And so God wants us to come to a point, not just of knowing his will and having wisdom to uh, uh, see how it fits, but also to have understanding in how to apply it. God doesn't want us to beat people up. He wants people to know that He is the God who understands. The whole reason Jesus came down from heaven, clothed Himself in human flesh, was born in a manger and walked the dusty streets of Palestine and ultimately was crucified on a cross at Calvary was so the Hebrew writer could write and say, he has been tested in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. He is a God who understands. Jesus ministered Maybe your life feels like blind Bartimaeus and the people are saying, you're too loud and you can't even see what's going on. God understands and he wants like Bartimaeus to give you new sight. Maybe you felt like the woman caught in adultery and the people are saying, she ought to be stoned. Jesus understands. And he said, I want to give you a second chance. Maybe you feel like Zacchaeus and the people are telling you, you're nothing but a crook and you'll never be nothing. God wants to give you forgiveness and loving acceptance and restoration. Or maybe you feel like the four-time divorced woman at the well and people are saying, you'll never be of any use to Almighty God. God wants, God understands and God wants to give you a new lease on life. God understands. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our brokenness. He understands our pain. He understands our shortcomings. He understands our bitterness. He understands our hurts. He understands our frailty. He understands our failure. He understands and he wants you to know that in spite of it all, I love you and I want to embrace you and I want you to be a part of the family. That's why the gospel message is so simple. It simply says, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Wherever you are today, I want you to know that's what God wants to gift you today. He wants to gift you the abundance of everlasting life. So maybe... As we've been talking, you've been thinking about something in your life that is not in full alignment with the Word of God. We're going to pray in just a moment, and I hope that during the prayer, you'll be wanting to push the refresh button and refresh that one area, praying that God will give you the strength and the insight to bring that area into alignment with His will. Or maybe it's the case that you've never met Jesus Christ and you don't really know him as your savior. I want you to know God doesn't care who you are, doesn't care where you've been, doesn't care where you are right now. But this is one thing I do know. God knows you and God loves you and God wants you to be a part of his family. And I hope that as we pray today, you'll want to be a part of his family too and you will want to accept him into your heart. And into your life so that he can give you the strength and the power that you need. We all need in order to live a successful life and to live in alignment with him. Let's bow and pray. Father, now we thank you in the powerful name of your son and our sovereign Jesus Christ. God, thank you for coming down into this world. Thank you for all the things that you went through, including being crucified on a cross for us. Now, God, we recognize that you are wiser than we are. And so we just submit to you. And and whatever area is in our life that you're bringing to our mind right now, God, I just want to commit it to you. I want to commit it to you today. I want you to hit the refresh button on this. I want you to give me a new start in this area and then give me the instructions, the wisdom and the understanding in order to bring and keep that issue of my life in alignment with your will. And God, for those who don't know you today as Savior and Lord, I pray that some of them right now will be willing to open their hearts To receive you as Savior and as Lord. And so, friend, while our heads are bowed and while we're still praying, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life before, and today you want Jesus to come into your life, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Just raise your hand quickly while your head is bowed. Raise your hand right where you are. I'm so excited, so excited about what God is doing. So excited about how God is moving. Pray this prayer with me. Dear God forgive me of my sins and come into my life and help me to be your child give me that spiritual strength I've heard about to be able to live successfully according to your will this is my prayer this is our prayer in Jesus name and all who agree with that prayer said a big hallelujah and amen together. Give God some praise. He is a worthy God, worthy to be praised. He understands everything we're going through. And that's why I love God, and I love you, Christ Fellowship.